Hi, this is Jeremy Simser, and you're listening to The Flash Podcast. To the Flash Podcast Summer Season Edition. This is your podcast for all things related to CW's The Flash. And as we're still waiting for the show to come back for its fourth season on Tuesday, October 10, we're still doing our summer season covering special topics for The Flash, reflecting on the past season, and also looking ahead to what's to come. And uh, I want to be host, Annie as always. And uh, sorry that we haven't been around for the last few weeks. It's been uh, busy for for all of us, but you know we're we're now back uh, as we're in. September, we're just a couple of weeks away from the season premiere, so and we're gonna be now basically doing a full run of episodes leading up to October 10th. So we're not gonna go away anywhere. And uh, I'm joined by a very good friend of the podcast who uh, has pretty much been on uh, every season of uh, the podcast in one way or another, and he is uh, one of the senior writers of Combo.com, and he's also one of the hosts of Archer Digest, the Riddle podcast, and also the host of. Emerald City Video Podcast, which is um, dedicated to the now-canceled NBC TV show Emerald City. No, I'm kidding. No, it's not about Emerald City, uh, despite the name. Uh, but please welcome back our, our good friend Russ Berlingame. So, Russ, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad. Not too bad. You actually forgot to mention, because uh, you uh, you folks work with uh, one of my other co-hosts uh, on uh, Delicious Flavor, a Psych Rewatch podcast. I am a co-host with Sean Carpenter. Uh, of uh, of the iZombie pod- podcast fame. Oh yes, I am. Look, I I thought I got all the I thought all I got your all your credits, but clearly I Hello. didn't. So yes, um, no, but he yeah, that's exactly. He also works with Sean on the the on that podcast too. So Russ, he, you're you're a very busy man, Russ. Uh, how do you how do you keep up with everything that you do, both uh, writing and podcasting? I don't. Everything's behind all the time. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, well, we're gonna be doing uh, one of our. You're gonna be actually with us, you know, for this week and next week uh, for a couple of character spotlights for some new characters that are coming to this uh, to the show this season. So, but before we do that, I, I do want to quit discuss one quick news item because I, since we weren't around for the last few weeks, I just kind of just want to touch upon it and just kind of discuss it with someone because I haven't really gotten to discuss it with anyone. So a few weeks ago, it was announced that. Uh, Katie Sackhoff from uh, Battlestar Galactica and uh, Longmire fame is coming to the CW on The Flash as uh, the DC villain Aminat Black, a.k.a. Blacksmith, and she will debut in the fifth episode of the season, which is temporarily called Girls' Night Out, which will feature Arrow's uh, Felicity Smoke, uh, Emily Bed Ricards, and uh, the way the character is described is that she is a steely and badass boss of an underground black market for supervillains. Aminat uses every means possible, including the long list of metahumans under her thumb, to ensure her elect enterprise thrives. 
so Russ, are you uh, are you familiar with uh, Blackbeard from the comics? And uh, what do you think about uh, Katie coming to the show? Are you are you a fan of her previous work? I like what I've seen. I'm not actually like I've, I never watched Battlestar, so I'm one of those people who like I, I primarily like her just from her kind of geek presence and from Longmire. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know very much, actually, about the blacksmith. It's one of those characters where I'm, I'm just sitting here going, like, oh, so that is a person who exists. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of like the, uh, what's his name, uh, the so-and-so and his samuroids that's showing up in the season premiere of The Flash. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Baron Katana and the samuroids. Uh, where you're just sitting here going, that is that is not a name that I thought would ever make it to TV. I'm sorry. <laughs> It'll be fun to see if Cisco comes up with a name for the the samurai, or if the samurai just comes and says, "I am the samurai," and Cisco goes, "Either that's a perfect name, or he goes, that's a disastrous name. Let me come up with something." <laughs> <laughs> well, we were actually uh, in 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 our work chat, like the comicbook.com like chat. We were talking about how Samurais is just a terrible name because it just it sounds like, oh man, I shouldn't have eaten that pizza for dinner. I have Samurais now. <laughs> oh my god, what have you done, Rose? Every time now I hear that name on, if whenever I hear that name next time, I'm just gonna think about that, like you know, someone eating something bad and now feeling <laughs> Samurais. Um, no, but but we know she's going to be recurring throughout the season. So and she's and she is one of the rogues from uh, the comics. Uh, so yeah, what do you think this could mean? Do you think this could finally mean that we will see some gathering of uh, rogues? Since we, I mean, we I think we pretty much introduced all of them now into the Arrowverse uh, in one way or another. Yeah, I would be surprised if we don't see them come together this season. Um, one of the things that they've done enough kind of on on the other shows is kind of building these secret societies that don't tend to really go anywhere like when you think of roulettes fight clubs and uh the uh, uh the cult of jason blood on arrow uh they've created a lot of these like subcultures where it's like ooh, are they gonna do something really interesting with this and then it's like no they're just kind of using it for three episodes and then it's gone um, so I'm guessing at this point that, that probably on the flash, they have to have looked at that at this point and said, you know, we're, we're kind of leaving money on the table here when we don't do something more interesting with this setup. And so, especially because like the way that they've described the blacksmith sounds so much like roulette, just in terms of, yes, technically the underground metahuman fight club is marginally different than like the black market for supervillains, but it feels very much like the same culture. Uh, and having the steely nerved uh, woman who's above reproach be the one who's running it feels very similar to me. And so I kind of feel like in order to differentiate it from what they did last season on Supergirl, they're going to have to um, kind of really pay it off in a way that they haven't in the past when the Arrowverse created these situations. Yeah, especially when you know when they have almost pretty much introduced the whole mythology of the rogues in that way that... I mean, I think by the time the show comes to an end, we will have at least at least once seen like all of them together in some way capacity if work if schedules allow. Like, I mean, I expect you know whoever, whatever new version 
when Wolf Miller is going to play up Captain Cold, like I'm sure he will be there. I'm sure McRoy will at some point revert back to being evil, and then we will see Weather Wizard and Trickster and uh, definitely Mirror Master, uh, who I hope they invest a little bit more in this season. But uh, no, but I mean, K- Katie Sackhoff is um, is great. I mean, I, I haven't seen her in Battlestar either. I'm, I'm kind of pretty much on what Russ was saying. Pretty much I've seen her in Geek Fame, and then like maybe seen maybe a couple episodes of Longmire, but that's what was, I was mostly watching because of Cassidy Freeman, and that was a while ago. So, uh, no, but, I mean, she is another kick-ass uh, actress, and now The Flash is going to get to add her to the long list of talented actors they've brought onto the show. So um, this will be it'll be fun. I um, I don't know what to say about the whole Girls' Night Out thing. I, I'm guessing someone is getting a bachelorette party, but, uh, again, it's kind of funny that... Like, how many women women will actually be at a party like that, you know, for Iris? Because, I mean, I don't know how many friends Iris does have, like, besides Linda Park. So, uh, and I sound like a dick for saying it, but it's kind of like, I mean, besides the team flashing, so we don't really see, I mean, Russ and I were talking about this before we went on air, like, these people on air, in the airverse don't really have personal lives. So, it's kind of hard to, like, imagine them doing things like birthdays and bachelorette parties or big events because it's like who yeah. would they actually meet it's it's kind of an extension of a problem that we've seen in the comics over the last however many years which is that okay yes we have this interconnected universe and that's awesome but over the course of time it's now become where the internet the interconnected universe is driving just a ton of narrative and i, I kind of feel like the uh what ends up happening there is that if you're not a superhero, you're not important. Like, I, I really feel like in, in most comics, everything is in service of the next big event. And so people's supporting casts get pared down to basically nothing. And then similarly, I think you're seeing the same thing on Arrow, where it's like, if we need a friend for Iris to hang out with for an episode, well, let's just have... Emily come over from Arrow. And on the one hand, that's awesome because like it builds the interconnection of the universe and obviously everybody's always happy to see Emily. But the other side of that is like you're left with this impression that outside of being part of Team Flash, Iris has nothing going on in her life. And that's obviously reinforced by like having a day job that she never seems to attend. Well, in her defense, like a lot of these people, a lot of these people don't go to work. Like, I mean, I mean, it's like you. I think you and your co-host on RJ Digest has mentioned. It's like we've seen better Cooper write more articles than Iris was and Cara Danvers at this point. Like in oh, one yeah. se- in in one season that is only thirteen episodes, Betty Cooper. Like, I mean, she wrote more articles than her mother <laughs> on the register. That's that's the thing that is so hilarious. But um. See, I just see what I basically have done with the flashback this year is that I basically just try to find an excuse to talk about Riverdale in any way I can on each episode. So, yeah, that works. Um, like there was even an episode when Brittany and I and Lauren were just like, we were just making fun of Cheryl for always going, you know, well, you know, Jason used to like this. I mean, Jason used to do math and stuff like that, which you know would be yeah. like, it would be hilarious if Iris did something like that, uh, like about Barry, like you know, talk you know when she's she's with Team Flash, she's like, well, you know, Barry used to like <laughs> eating a lot of things, like 
I almost hope they do something like that just so I can just say, oh, Cheryl West or something like that. It's like an out combination. But uh, no, I'm looking forward to see Blacksmith. I mean, another, I mean, another female baddie. I mean, we don't get to see that very often on The Flash. So um, that will be that will be fun. But uh, on this episode, we're actually going to, you know, we're going to do a character spotlight on a new character that's coming to the show. We're getting a lot of new characters this season on The Flash, but one of them is uh, it's going to be another hero. Uh, guys, there's actually going to be a non-evil metahuman for once, in, like, since <laughs> since Firestorm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for the first time in, like, three seasons, we're getting a new superhero in Central City, and who's going to be a metahuman, and uh, he is someone that is quite important in the Flash mythology. So today we're going to be talking about Ralph Dibney, a.k.a. the Elongated Man. So I brought Russ on because he um, he's one of the best comics people that I know in this industry. And I'm, just, I'm not just saying that because he's on there, because it's legit, truly. Just, if you look at all his articles, stuff like that, he... I mean, the man knows his stuff. So, uh, so I I thought I would bring him on and talk about uh, the elongated man, so we can kind of learn a little bit more about this new superhero that, we're co- that is coming to the CW. So, uh, so it was like, what can you tell us about, like you know, in general about Ralph's uh, comic history? Ralph's an interesting character because he is not, it, like, to my mind, he's not a character who was primarily identified with the Flash for most of his creation or for most of his existence. He was definitely created on The Flash. He was created by John Broom and Carmine Infantino uh, back in The Flash, number 112. And he basically showed up and immediately joined kind of the same dynamic that, that The Flash had, which was in the Silver Age of comics, there was almost two kind of uh, models for these kind of Silver Age superheroes, you had characters like Barry, who were a little bit more like your dad. Like, he was a little stodgy and a little by the book, and most of them got married almost immediately. Uh, And then you had, you know, the Hal Jordans of the world, who's like the cool uncle, where uh, he's a, a perpetual bachelor and seemingly always screwing up his life. And uh, Ralph very much was in the vein of of Barry in terms of uh, you meet Ralph and Sue Dibney shows up not long after uh, and and becomes you know they're they're very early it became okay well you don't see Ralph without Sue uh, she appeared actually seven I want to say seven issues after Ralph did. Yeah, she first appeared in The Flash 119. Uh, and and so these were characters that are as kind of bound together in the mythology as Barry and Iris are. So with uh, Iris and Barry's wedding kind of looming this season, you know, we're really interested to see how Ralph and Sue are handled. Uh, Sue has not been cast yet, and Ralph's character description said nothing about her, so I'm curious as to whether the show is going to try to just do the thing of like, well, we'll just have the superhero for a while and eventually maybe introduce the love interest in a spinoff. But uh, <clears throat> for people who are my age and younger, uh, probably the way that you know Ralph the best is from one of two things, one either from his run as a member of the Justice League, uh, which was 
he was a member of the Justice League during the Satellite Era, which is basically the period in time where, if you look at the Satellite Era photos, or not photos, the Satellite Era art, the uh, the Justice League is like two-thirds represented by people who exist in the Arrowverse. This is when, you're like, yes, yeah, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Green Lantern were all there. But uh, it was a large Justice League that also included, like, Firestorm and the Elongated Man and Black Canary and the Hawks and Martian Manhunter and Red Tornado. And you just kind of, you look at, at kind of pictures from that era and you're just like, holy cow, I'm kind of shocked how many of these characters have already made the jump to, uh, to the CW in one form or another. And pretty much at this point, oh, Vixen was, was part of, towards the end, was, was part of that, that run. Uh, I think the only person who plausibly might show up on TV and has not yet is Zatanna. Because I think that it's very, very unlikely at this point that we'll see Aquaman, Green Lantern, Batman, Wonder Woman on the CW. I mean, never, uh, said, never said never. I mean, people will say that about Superman and then he came. Yeah, but the, there's, I mean, and again, I like I said, I didn't say never. I said it's just very unlikely. But uh, I, I do think it's slightly different looking at the at the other high-profile characters versus Superman because obviously Superman, there was a very specific reason to bring Superman in. And there was a, a you know, having Supergirl means that Superman is part of the deal. You can't have her mythology without him. And whereas there is no corollary, there's nobody in the CW verse that relies on the mythology of Green Lantern, say. Mm. Good point. But uh, um, for me, my biggest exposure to Ralph was not during the satellite era, it was the next era of the Justice League, because uh, Ralph was part of the Justice League International during the Giffen Dematis run. And uh, he was not part of the immediate, like, first few issues team that had, like, Batman and Mr. Miracle and Shazam on it. Uh, he came later. I think he was actually a member of Justice League Europe. But uh, Ralph was a kind of a perfect addition to the JLI in the sense that he and Blue Beetle and Booster Gold used to be able to kind of bounce off each other. And uh, there was a lot of humor and a lot of kind of day-to-day -day stuff like one of the great things about the justice league international that i think would really serve the flash very well is that it was largely a workplace comedy drama thing with superheroes and so the all of the dynamics and all of the kind of hijinks that they got up to would work really well in the context of star labs because once again it's it's not only a, like not only are they saving the world, but this is essentially their work. Like this is all that they do when they're not like sleeping and eating. And so I think the idea of having like right now Star Labs is a family. If you bring in somebody like Ralph, who's not part of that family and who's also kind of a smartass, uh, I could easily see it taking a little bit more of a workplace dynamic on, uh, especially now that we have Caitlin not being herself. Oh yeah, well, and, whatever's, uh, go whatever, whatever's going on with that, yeah, that will be, yeah, I don't even know what to call that anymore, because I'm like, well, what is she? 
she's I'm, I'm sure they'll give her some new name because um, I, I, I don't know that they'll want to keep her as Killer Frost if she's not going to be killing folks. But uh, maybe just Frost, you know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I, I'm sure there's like some ice themed superheroine besides just ice. Um, technically, steal a name from. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I can't think of who it might be. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think there's definitely potential there to add Ralph to this and to fundamentally kind of shift some of the some of the dynamic within Star Labs. Um, it is di- it's difficult to know how much they're going to want to do that because obviously season three was not everybody's cup of tea and they're very clearly doing some course corrections on the fly this year. And so I, I think that you're going to see them trying to revert to like the season one, season two status quo in a lot of places. And it will be interesting to see whether some of these characters who are being brought in are going to be brought in to further shake things up or to kind of reinstate the status quo in some way. Um, but one last thing I'll touch on before we start kind of breaking it down a little bit is that uh, Ralph was also, besides being, you know, he's one of the things we didn't talk about. He's basically Mr. Fantastic from the Fantastic Four. Uh, he's incredibly smart and he is able to make, to stretch his body. Uh, he's not like Plastic Man where he can like mold himself into shapes and kind of keep that uh, indefinitely. But, uh, you know, Ralph has a, like a drug that he created that he takes the drug and he is able to stretch his body like, you know, in improbable ways. And uh, he also is one of the great detectives in the DC universe. Uh, So that certainly having him come on board in a season where Flash's main threat is going to be the thinker and it's going to be a a mental threat rather than a physical threat uh, makes a lot of sense. And in the time after he largely retired from superheroing, like he wasn't technically retired, but but pretty much he was, uh, we saw Ralph occasionally popping up in James Robinson's Starman, which is one of the great superhero comics of the last 25 years. If you have the chance to read it, I absolutely recommend it. Um, and there's a lot of, like, we've been teased with little tiny elements of James Robinson's Starman periodically throughout the flash we have uh and yeah there's a lot of little things from james robinson's starman that show up as kind of easter eggs on the flash uh the shade who was a a minor villain in a couple of episodes of the flash was uh a major major player he was actually a, a starman villain from the golden age uh and and the the way that the uh, the way that the Starman legacy works is essentially that there's this one dude who invented the cosmic rod and that's basically, he, there's like a, a rod and a belt and that's what gives you the powers and he passed it along to his son and at one point uh, like he had a sidekick and the sidekick grew up and stopped doing superheroing and then his sidekick's stepdaughter found the stuff in his garage at one point and she became Stargirl who we've seen on Legends of Tomorrow. Um, Sylvester Pemberton, that's his name, right? 
Uh, yeah, no, that's a different Starman. Oh, uh, okay. He's an alien, and he he came to like they tied him into the Starman kind of mythology during the James Robinson run, because originally he was Starman kind of in name only. He had a totally different power set and a totally different origin. He was totally unconnected to the classic Justice Society Starman, but uh, when James Robinson came around. And said, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reintroduce uh, the original Starman's kid as the new Starman, which was after an event called Zero Hour, which was like a crisis in time uh, thing that DC did. And uh, basically he said, I, I, I know that by kind of creating another new Starman, we're essentially orphaning Sylvester Pemberton, where like you just he's, – he's just not – doing anything and then there was another or no actually you know what sylvester was not the alien one mikhail was mikhail thomas was the alien one uh sylvester was the one who i think went crazy uh but anyway um the during his run on starman uh james robinson brought all of the various iterations of starman together and kind of created like a culture uh, of Starmen, where where they were all kind of friends and interconnected and worked together and things, uh, and and the one Sylvester and Mikhail who had been kind of shunted to the background because they didn't work in the DC universe as it existed at that moment, got a kind of a new day in the sun so they could at least kind of exist and not be forgotten. Mm. But all of Starman took place in Opal City, which is a, a city within the DC universe that uh, you've seen. Like, you see it pop up uh, on the clocks. You know how when you go to the the, the, uh, the newspaper where Iris works. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I remember seeing a photo once that they, like, they showed all the clocks of all the cities. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, there, like, when you look at that, it's like there's Coast City, there's Hub City, there's Metropolis, there's – and one of them is Opal. Um, that's cool. And Opal City, Opal City is is very much like, uh, it's very much like Gotham. It's a character kind of unto itself in James Robinson's Starman. But when Ralph and Sue were largely out of the superhero game, they moved to Opal and started their own like, essentially detective agency where they used the notoriety of having because very much like the Fantastic Four again, these guys lived public lives and everybody knew who they were. And so they were able to kind of capitalize on the fact that he's elongated man. He's like a superhero celebrity and use that to promote their like private investigation, private investigator agency. And, uh, so he periodically popped up in James Robinson's Starman as, uh, as like a supporting character who also existed in, in Opal and apparently uh, occasionally would provide, uh, the the characters with like guidance. Uh, before we move on uh, to uh, breaking him down, like, what can you tell us about um, Sue Dibney? Like anything else like that is uh, significant about because she, uh, like you said, you they kind of come together as a pair. So like, uh, what's uh, what's uh, what's so big about uh, Sue as a, as a character in her in her legacy? Sue is, I mean. Sue is a really interesting character because she started, as I said, as kind of part and parcel of this archetype of superhero characters from the Silver Age where she existed to be the love interest and then they got married and she was just kind of boring, uh, which continued for quite some time. 
the same can really be said of Iris in a lot of cases. Like early Iris, oftentimes she was not much more than the girlfriend, and that was pretty dull. And then eventually writers started to figure out that Iris – uh, would be a much more compelling love interest if she was in and of herself an interesting character, uh, which is when she started to really kind of grow and change. Um, unfortunately for Ralph and Sue, uh, they never really had their own, like Ralph never really had a long-running, elongated man title. He was a backup in Flash for a while, and then he was a, a, one of the like 37 members of the Satellite Era Justice League. And so when it came time to kind of really develop Sue Dibney. It didn't come until uh, down the line when she became essentially the Justice League, like, like basically she was the IT girl before IT girls were a thing. Um, I, I can't remember. They didn't call her the mascot because the mascot was Snapper Carr. Um, <laughs> I think that they called her like the secretary or something. But basically, well, like, the, Sue, like the Overwatch, maybe. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. Huh. Error friendly. Well, that was that, kill that, me for this. <laughs> Sue was the one who essentially kept everything running smoothly on the Justice League satellite. And then uh, during the Given to Mattis run, when Ralph and Sue returned, uh, she served kind of a dual role of being not only like the person who kept the league running smoothly, and uh, you know when. Uh, shortly after she died in the comics, uh, there was a story where they revisited the Giffen to Mattis Justice League era, and they made sure to kind of drive home how much she was like the heart of the Justice League. Um, but she uh, not only served that role, but also she was often like, the straight man uh, for like the the army of goofballs that she was surrounded by in the Giffen to Mattis Justice League. Which, if if you don't know. Like I said, there was an element of kind of workplace comedy to it. Um, if you Google Justice League Bwahaha, like B-W-A-ha-ha, then that'll tell you all you need to know about the Giffen to Mattis Justice League. Because they're, they're by and large known as like the Bwahaha Justice League. Um, but yeah, after the... After the, the time spent in the Justice League International, probably the next major story that Ralph and Sue were a part of was Identity Crisis. And Identity Crisis was incredible, was and, and is incredibly divisive among fans. Uh, it was a huge bestseller at the time, and it helped to really kickstart the kind of modern event movement because comic book events had been kind of languishing and not doing the same kind of sales that they used to. And then all of a sudden, uh, Marvel had Civil War right around the same time that DC had uh, Identity Crisis, and it became like, oh, look, events are back. But uh, the conceit of Identity Crisis was that uh, Ralph's birthday is coming up, and he's out patrolling and being essentially distracted while Sue sets up a surprise party for him. And uh, he gets a call and rushes home to find her brutally murdered. Oh my and, god. Oh my god. And the whole miniseries was essentially a murder mystery that was meant to be who killed uh, Ralph did, you know, who killed the elongated man's wife and why. And so in the course of that, it, it 
it created this situation where people, and it's it's hard because like you, you, people have a lot more affection now for Ralph and Sue than they had before Identity Crisis, because before Identity Crisis they were kind of just another part of a larger whole because they had never really had their own long-running, ongoing stories. They'd always been a part of somebody else's book or the Justice League or something. And so there were very few people who were ardent, hardcore, like elongated man fans. But because so many people were so very, very angry about the way that those characters were treated during Identity Crisis, suddenly they kind of retroactively became incredibly popular. Uh, all these people, be because in order to be properly enraged by what happened to these characters, a lot of people feel like they needed to be fans of these characters first. And so everybody who had ever liked Elongated Man and Sue Dibney and a whole lot more all kind of popped up to say, this is bullshit. And uh, uh, it, Identity Crisis is a weird book. Um, there's a lot in Identity Crisis that is done well and very effectively. There is a lot in Identity Crisis that is not done well. And uh, the, the guy who wrote the comic, uh, who tends to be the one who takes most of the blame, because obviously these are his ideas, uh, is, a, is a friend of mine. And so I'm always... Uh, I, I'm, I have a difficult time knowing to what extent I can be uh, unbiased in kind of looking at the long-term effect of identity crisis. But uh, because they killed off Sue and it totally shattered Ralph, he was never the same again. Um, that was essentially the end of the Bwahaha era of the Justice League. Uh, there was like a, a three-year period where DC just seemed to go, oh, all those guys who are always joking around and having fun. Oh, yeah, screw those guys. We're going to kill all of them. Um, and that, so that, that was one went dark. That. that went dark really quick. <laughs> that that's how it felt, man. It, they they killed off they killed off uh, Sue, and it kind of broke Ralph's brain. How did she and, die? Was was, that, was it how she died? That people were so upset about. Or was it just kind of like like the circumstance around there, like how she was killed? There are a couple things. Uh, the biggest thing has not has less to do with how she died and more to do with the fact that uh, they inserted this kind of retroactive plot, like a retcon, like a retroactive piece of continuity into the history of the Satellite Era Justice League, where Sue had been raped by a supervillain who had essentially come upon her years ago in the Justice League satellite. And uh, what had happened was that they mind-wiped the villain uh, to make him forget. Because basically, he got the idea in his head, this is what he's going to do now. He's just going to attack people's families. And so they mind-wiped the villain to make him forget. And while they were in their mind-wiping, they basically gave him a psychic lobotomy um, to make him less dangerous. And so there was a whole lot of stuff in there that people really did not like. From the superheroes doing decidedly unsuperheroic things to uh, 
this beloved, powerful female character uh, being raped for seemingly no real reason. Uh, it, it was a, a, an intensely problematic scene, which was made even more problematic because someone uh, who was an, uh, Valerie Durazio, who was an editor at DC at the time, reports that there were guys walking around the bullpen at DC uh, joking about something along the lines of, hey, the rape pages came in when the art was coming back. Oh. And wow. so all in all, uh, the the whole element of it was was a problem like it the story was problematic in the way that it treated sue in a number of ways the death the murder itself was not terrible although i I think that a lot of people would argue that it was fridging because it was basically killing this woman off and her unborn child uh she was pregnant yeah oh my god what are you what is this Hold but, on, let's, uh, let's take a break here. What is this? This is, this is so tragic. Well, and this is why, again, this is why uh, I'm I'm curious to see how they'll handle. Like, I, I don't think that we will ever see Sue get killed in any live action media. Uh, but I do wonder if, in order to avoid the potential nonstop identity crisis predictions, that we might see we might not meet sue or we might not meet her until way later certainly uh okay spoilers for a story that's like 20 years old now or 10 no no no. go for it go for it her murderer should have should have appeared actually technically her her murderer does exist in the arrowverse but plays a much different role on arrow than she played in the comics um, the person who mur- the person who murdered uh, Sue Dibney in the comics was actually uh, uh, Ray Palmer's wife, Jean Loring. And it's his fanfic. It's his fanfic. This cannot be real. <laughs> well, obviously, Ray's first wife is dead, and Jean Loring was the prosecutor who. Oh yeah, from Moira's, uh, Moira's case. Yeah, from Moira's case, who I believe is also dead, I'm pretty sure, because she's a prosecutor and she lives in Starling City. Um, <laughs> there we, that is the burp, that's the only reason you need. You live in Star City, you're a public figure, you're dead. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, but uh, in the comics, Gene was married to Ray, and they had a terrible marriage. And over the course of about 15 years worth of real time, uh, they broke up and got together a couple of times. And when she finally decided she wanted him back, she basically decided that she was going to manipulate him into falling in love with her again by staging this elaborate thing where it looked like all of the families of the superheroes were in danger so that then he would rush to her side to protect her. And she wasn't trying to kill Sue. She was trying to just kind of scare her, but she killed her and everything went horribly wrong and then as a result of all of this in order to cover her tracks she had to like she hired a supervillain to make it look like that supervillain was responsible and then um the dumbest deathstroke scene in the history of comics happened and then uh captain boomerang killed robin's dad uh it 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 was it was a, a weird, incredibly dark, incredibly violent in a lot of ways miniseries with the dumbest Deathstroke scene that has ever happened in the history of comics. 
Is this a dynasty? Uh, is this a dynasty version of the DC universe and so on? Because like, this is what the kind of drama I expect to to, to happen on the the new dynasty show. It's just going to be drama, plotting, manipulation. It's kind of like it's <sighs> wow. Like, well, I mean, first of all, that's 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 basically DC Comics from 1985 to 2005, because the post-crisis DC universe was a much kind of tighter uh, animal than what's happened before or since. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, that led to... Like, first of all, a lot of books were much more absorbed in their own stuff and less preoccupied with the shared universe. And so you would get things like building up 10 years of subplot for a character that would then eventually pay off with them going crazy in a crossover or something. Uh you know, these are things that probably wouldn't happen now because they would feel so totally fucking bananas. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But uh, in, at the time, this—I I still won't say that this made sense at the time because there was uh, identity crisis is one of the most divisive mainstream superhero comics ever made. Which, when you consider how incredibly willing to be angry superhero fans are. Uh, marking anything as one of the most is pretty impressive. Um, I will say that following Identity Crisis, uh, they again the the kind of there was a surge of event comics that has still not let up to this day. Uh, but one of the first major events to come out post Identity Crisis was Fifty Two, uh, which is by and large uh, very well liked. There are people who have qualms with it, but they're fairly minor. And uh, it was a year-long weekly series co-written by, among others, Jeff Johns. And uh, in that series, it it basically dealt with a year where there was no Superman, no Batman, no Wonder Woman. And so the whole comic centered on a bunch of second- and third-tier superheroes trying to, like, hold the world together while those three were gone. And one of the main characters was Ralph Dibney. Um, Ralph was very, very crazy at this point and had basically spent the entire year trying to revive his wife from the dead. Uh, Eventually, uh, he was trying to make a deal with this demon and realized it was a terrible idea. And in order to basically trap the demon... He ended up killing himself, uh, and the last—I want to say it was the last page of fifty-two, but certainly one of the last pages of fifty-two—was uh, Ralph and Sue as ghost de- ghost detectives standing over a murder victim, and Ralph's nose was wiggling, which uh, because of his gingold and the fact that he stretches uh, when he believes that he has the answer to a mystery, his nose wiggles. I, I, I kind of doubt that's going to make its way to the Flash. I don't know how they could make it look good. Um, but we'll see. Anything's possible. So, page uh, 2, is, is that a story that you would recommend people to read if they really want to get into? I mean, what's, that's, what, what's some, what's, what are some good storylines that people should read with, uh, with Ralph? Like, I mean, I'm I, I mean, I I guess we should warn people to be cautious with reading Identity Crisis because it is it seems to be a very like powerful charged story. But uh... yes, yeah, I I would and and frankly, uh, I love 
the first issue of Identity Crisis, which is it end, it ends with Sue's death, and it's just it's wrenching. But uh, the the rest of the series does not hold up in the same way that the first issue does. The first issue of Identity Crisis is a just a, an amazing piece of of superhero comics that uh, if if the whole rest of the miniseries had been that kind of good, I think that a lot of the plot points could have been forgiven because people would have just been like, holy crap, how did they make this this thing happen? Um, unfortunately, the quality of the writing was not consistent throughout, and so when it wasn't just amazing, it makes it a lot easier for people to start picking stuff apart. Uh, so I, I certainly, I'm, I'm reluctant to, to really recommend people like run right out and get identity crisis as a primer for Ralph Dibney, because basically there's like 20 pages of a really great Ralph Dibney story. And then another hundred pages of really controversial, really divisive material. Some of which is great. Some of which is really not. Um, if, uh, I, I would say pick up the, uh, um, the fourth volume and on of the Gith Giffen and Dematis. They had a series of uh, hardcovers and trade paperbacks just called Justice League International. Um, and you can pick up any of the Justice League International trades that have Ralph in them, and you will be glad that you did because uh, Giffen Dematis's Justice League International is its just a gem. It's so much fun to read. Uh, and, and one of the things, a lot of people kind of snipe at it because it's like, oh, that's when the league was a joke and you, you know, you made the, they made those characters, they, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like there was a, there was a, a kind of a meme that ran through the just or the uh, booster gold relaunch in 2006 where it was like, oh, well I'm a joke now. And so I have to redeem myself. And that's really not a fair characterization because like even the comedy really was not a huge part of the book until most of the way through. Uh, honestly, like the comedy was there, and the comedy was one of the things that defined the identity of the book for people, but that's mostly just because comics were taking themselves so damn seriously right around then. Um, so I would highly, highly recommend picking up uh, Justice League International. I I'm looking right now at my bookshelf, and the first three volumes do not have Ralph in them. Uh, but from four on, you're going to see a lot of Ralph. Um, there's also an elongated man... Uh, uh, showcase presents paperback, which are black and white, oversized, um, kind of omnibus style paperbacks. Usually, you can get it for like fifteen, twenty bucks, and it's like five hundred pages. And it'll be, in the case of Elongated Man, it'll be pretty much all of the backups from when he was a backup feature in the Flash, and any Flash issues where he was like the guest star slash main attraction. And then a handful of like solo stories that he did either in like Showcase Presents or where he was a, a backup story in non-Flash books. I think he was in Green Lantern for a little while. Uh, stuff like that. And that is all. And it's going to be Silver Age, so it's going to be largely very silly stuff. But uh, it gives you a great base for who the character is without the baggage of uh, kind of the larger DC universe. Because by and large, except for The Flash, um, when you look at the Showcase Presents Elongated Man, it's going to be just 
Ralph and Sue Dibney doing their thing, solving mysteries and stretching. Um, and then I would, I would very much recommend 52. Uh, 52 is a great comic, a great event comic. And in my personal opinion, there aren't many great event comics. Uh, but, uh, if you want to look at a more contemporary take on Ralph that deals with the, cause I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's been more than 10 years since Identity Crisis. Identity Crisis has made an indelible mark on the characters of Ralph and Sue Dibney, even if they are brought back for Rebirth, and none of that ever happened. In the minds of readers, I, for many people, Identity Crisis is going to be the definitive elongated man story. It's like the killing uh, joke for Barbara. It's like the killing joke to Barbara Gordon to what Identity Crisis exactly. is to Ralph. Yeah. Very, very similar. And, and so, you know... Even if you have problems with it, the, the bottom line is if you're if you're getting a sense for who Ralph is, uh, identity crisis looms very large over all of that. And one of the things that I would say is, if you want to avoid the kind of trigger warning elements of identity crisis and the moments that make people super angry, but you still want to get a sense for how it affected the DC universe and how it affected Ralph and all of that. Um, I would say read 52 because 52 basically identity crisis happened and then infinite crisis happened and following infinite crisis 52 sprang immediately out of that. And so the main characters are all kind of second and third tier DC characters. Uh, every, every subplot was really good. Uh, Ralph had a story. Booster Gold had a story. The question had a story. Uh, Steel had a story, and I know there's one or two more that I'm forgetting. Let me look. Animal Man, that's right. Animal Man went to space with Starfire. Um, Martian Manhunter was prominently featured. Rip Hunter basically became the Time Master that he would become on TV in 52, because even though he'd been a Time Master for years, he was more of like an Indiana Jones-style adventurer. Whereas in 52, he became like this crazy person with a conspiracy board and uh, started assembling groups of superheroes to travel through time with him and right wrongs. And so uh, 52 is absolutely something to check out. I mean, again, Ralph is one of seven main characters. But the other side of that is it's a year-long series, which means that it's about a 1,000 pages all in because you figure it's 52 20-issue comic books. So even if he's only one-seventh of it, that's still like an entire graphic novel's worth of Ralph Dibney. Has he been in the New 52 at all? Like, has he like made at least like one appearance? Or is he kind of like, like, is he kind of like the Bar Allen right so. now, like not being used let me, at all? Let me double check. I don't think so. Um I'm pretty sure that they they don't know what to do with him right now. Because in the New 52, I think that they weren't using him because he was just not a hugely popular character. Um, in, in the Rebirth era, the problem becomes, okay, well, we want everything to be kind of the, the most iconic, recognizable version of these characters. And unfortunately, with Ralph, the most iconic, recognizable version of these characters is a dude who has to deal with the ramifications of identity crisis. 
Yeah. And for most people, they're not interested in that version of Ralph, or at least even if they are, they want it undone because they like Ralph doesn't work as well without Sue. Um, in a lot of ways, it, it's basically like if you were to introduce a version of Barry and be like, oh, yeah, Iris, I really loved her. She died. And just have that be the only, you know. Uh, it actually does look like Ralph has appeared in uh, Gail Simone's Secret Six relaunch that happened in 2015. Uh, it looks like he was featured throughout Secret Six and did not die. Um, I don't know if Sue survived and was part of that, but let me look. Secret um, Six, that's an interesting choice. Uh, I suspect it's mostly that in Secret Six, uh, you know, because, again, you had this thing where uh, Secret Six had been a big, not a big seller, but it was a big critical hit prior to the events of uh, Flashpoint. And it got canceled because it wasn't selling all that great. But in the New 52... uh, Nothing was selling all that great after a short period of time, and Gail Simone was very unhappy with what DC was giving her. And I think that DC, in order to make her happy and keep her around, said, well, what if we let you go back to Secret Six? Because, you know, people liked that book. Um, And then it ran for, I want to say, a year, and then kind of halfway through its run, Rebirth happened, and people kind of forgot about it. Uh, like, I remember it coming back and people being super excited. And actually, now that I look at this page of Ralph Dibney in Secret Six, I distinctly remember writing a news story about when he was introduced into the New 52. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he never went outside of Secret Six for uh, anything in... Uh, anything in the the post-Flashpoint era, and he has not shown up again since Secret Six was canceled. Uh, According to the DC Wiki, there are 15 total appearances of the Prime Earth, which is the post-Flashpoint Ralph Dibney, 14 issues of Secret Six, and then one issue of Convergence Wonder Woman, Convergence being a series that took place in alternate realities, and so I'm guessing that somebody accidentally put him in when really they meant a pre-Flashpoint version of the character. So who knows? Uh, maybe they will, uh, like, if um, if he becomes, you know, a big hit on the show, or maybe they have a plan to actually make him a bigger character again in the universe, leading, like, you know, I almost wouldn't be surprised if in the next two months we get solicitations for upcoming comics and one of those co- these comics maybe a flash comic particularly says mm. get starring you know ralph dibney aka the elongated man you know it, maybe- it would surprise me if they didn't because you have the like you have rebirth which basically sets up the possibility to do that stuff and then also you have the additional wrinkle of DC has been very good about capitalizing on characters who exist in the CW universe. Yeah, I mean, uh, look at like Black Lightning, he's just getting—he's going to get his own book now in November. So, um, it's like it's who? all Black Lightning. Oh yeah, yeah, Black Lightning. I mean, everybody's getting their own books in November, December. Uh, Ragman is getting his own series in October, uh, which is, I think, the first time that Ragman has had a series since about two thousand five. And then 
one of the things that you will have noticed if you were paying attention at the beginning of Rebirth is that the same issue that reintroduced Black Canary to the Green Arrow kind of fold. Um, the cover of it also had a street gang where they were all dressed like Wild Dog. And uh, so not only is Wild Dog appearing in Green Arrow right now, but also he's appearing in uh, a, a comic called Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye. That's, and, a, that's a long uh, name for a comic, but um, it is, and it's a really, it's a really ambitious. It's part of their. Uh, they have a, a an imprint called Young Animal, which is being overseen by Gerard Way. He's the front man for My Chemical Romance. Um, and he and one of his friends from like growing up in high school or something are basically editing slash writing all or most of these titles. And uh, his friend John is do, is writing. Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye, and uh, I can't. I haven't read the last few issues. But I, I, the thing I'll tease, I always tease people with, is that when you first see Wild Dog in Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye, number one, it's a splash page of him naked, looking in the mirror while wearing the hockey mask and guns. And that, my friend, is a serious finale of Arrow Season 7. So uh, you, will see, uh, you will see Rick Gonzalez uh, butt naked with the, with the hockey mask. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I tell you, the, I, we, we kind of glanced past this because we got into Ralph's stuff. But I think that if I had to predict the, uh, the outcome, talking about finales, if I had to predict when we're going to see the, the, the rogues assemble as rogues, I would be kind of surprised if it didn't happen at the mid-season finale this year. Because the mid-season finale is, of course, always the Mark Hamill episode. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and if they, assuming they can get him back, considering that Star Wars Episode Nine has been plunged into chaos. Um, but uh, assuming they can get him back, I would assume that when they finally have the rogues come together, Mark will have to be in that episode. Because that was the original plan for the Season 2 premiere. Was the that of the, original the show. trickster was... Yeah, the original show in 1990 was that uh, Mark Hamill's character was going to gather the rogues. And so the, the season two premiere should have been The Flash fighting the rogues for the first time in, li in live action. So I have a really hard time believing that when they finally do the rogues, that uh, the producers won't make sure that Mark is there. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mark was probably going to be pissed off. If, I mean, he... Like I mean, he got. I mean, when he was talking about coming back to the show as Jesse James uh, or James Jesse, he was kind of very emotional. The fact that he now gets to kind of fulfill those dreams he had as Drix, as a trickster back in the nineties that he never got to do because I mean, back then I think the producers of that show and even CBS were kind of like, no, stay away from the comic book villains. It was until like the second half of season one they were like, yeah, bring in Captain Cold and Mary Ryan. So by by that <laughs> point, the ratings were down. It wasn't do the series wasn't doing well. So they didn't get much of a chance to know, but I, yeah, but I think you're right. We're probably, I mean, when they do the rogues all together, and that's the thing, I keep saying when because I have a feeling that they will do the rogues together, not only to just kind of fulfill this and kind of do this for the show, but I also think it's because, in a in a corporate way, kind of to, to see how the rogues together would do so that the people at Warner Brothers can be like, hmm, we have a Flash franchise, hopefully, in the next couple of years, maybe we. This is a way how we can see like how to approach it. Um, but sorry, what were we gonna say? 
Yeah, I, I would agree with what you're saying. I mean, I think it's it's interesting. I know there was a draft of the script that that existed at one point for the movie where the rogues were supposedly the villains. Yeah. And now it's Flashpoint instead. And uh, I mean, that is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. Ex- uh, you're do- you don't sound very excited. <laughs> I'm actually. I'm. I'm. I'm really excited in the sense that I actually have enjoyed the DC Extended Universe movies way more than most people. And look at that, people. You so, see, people can actually enjoy DCEU. I mean, people. I mean, res, you know, people think that people like us are like myth that we like. There's no one that actually loves the DCEU. Um, uh, it was funny because me and my co-host and we were talking about the Flashpoint movie a couple of um, episodes ago, and we were mm-hmm. kind of like making fun of the fact that you know we'll see. Actually, you know, people can actually enjoy the DCEU. Um, like, and then we were just dragging on Marvel a little bit, like you know, like hey, you know what? Not everyone wants to see, you know, a repeated universe that, that the MCU has pretty much been like for the last. Uh, it's it's almost like nine years now, whatever. Um, and you know, we also we dragged on Civil War a little bit because. The third eye just doesn't work for me. Um, yeah, I, well, no part of that film worked for me, but we could go on. That that would be a go to the Emerald City Video podcast and look up our episode on Civil War. And uh, my there are there there are notes. Let me see what my notes are. It's I think it's sixty one. Um, well, you never you were never, I, I, you were never a fan of the actual comic, were you? No, I despised the actual comic. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's funny because I'm ambivalent about Identity Crisis because there are elements of it that I really like, and then there's a lot of elements of it that I really don't like. Uh, but my feelings for Civil War are entirely unambiguous. I, I hate it. Uh, and I, I hate it in the same way that I, I, there are a lot of people I know who hate Identity Crisis just as much. Uh but uh, yeah, going all the way back to the fourth episode of the Emerald City Video podcast, way back in two thousand June two thousand sixteen, uh, we did an episode about uh, Civil War and Hudson Hawk. Because uh, what we do, just for context, every episode is a new movie and an older movie, and it's because when we used to run the video store. Um, if you paid full price for a rental, you could get an older movie for free. And so like 80% of every transaction that came through the door, if it wasn't porn, was somebody getting a new release and then just picking up an old movie for free because why not? And so that's the, the structure of the, of the show. We talk about one older movie and one newer movie. And so we did, uh, we did Civil War and Hudson Hawk because my co-host Zach and I both believe that uh, – Rotten Tomatoes is categorically wrong on both of these because Captain America Civil War was certified fresh and Hudson Hawk, which is one of the great films ever made in the history of humankind, uh, has like a 9% rating or something. Um, but uh, in, the, in the show notes for that episode of, uh, of the Emerald City Video podcast, I have 64 points. Oh, Lord. Uh, that bother me about Captain America Civil War. Is one uh, of them the way how Tony was written in the third act, where his behavior, his rage behavior is just unreasonable? That's not, a, that's not like a specific one thing that I picked out and said. 
but it, it it's an undercurrent that runs through like 30 of the 50 of the, the 64 things okay. that's good um, enough for me at least um because i just couldn't my, sta- i couldn't stand it i could just not stand it at all my favorite observation is that really really you think my father made that shield is a better moment than martha they're the same thing anyway um, elongated man uh no i mean i i um uh no but those are the comments you brought up that those are good choices and i will try to see i can add um links in the description yeah, and, i mean and again like i said i would highly highly recommend checking out james robinson's starman run uh the difficulty with that is that ralph appeared sporadically and was not a major character in most of the arcs so i can't tell you off the top of my head what issues he was actually in um, it ran for, I think, 60 issues, and it was the kind of just wonderful, wonderful comic that, that I would say probably you, it would be worth reading the entire run for the five issues that, that Ralph plays a major role in, because it's just that good. But uh, it, it, if I'm putting together a, a list of required reading just for ralph dibney uh probably in good conscience i shouldn't include it well one question i wanted to ask you before we go to the you know talk a little bit about the ralph on the show and what can you tell us about the from what you read before about his relationship with the flash like you know i mean i know you said that you know him more as like his own character rather than being one of the supporting Mm. characters of the flash but from you know if you have read anything with ralph and barry in it like what can you tell listeners about that um, I mean, unfortunately, slash fortunately, um, when he was appearing as a backup character in The Flash, um, it was the Silver Age. And like I said, these were very kind of standard superhero characters. And um, so they were, for the most part, I in, in the backups that I've read from, because I, I have the the showcase presents kicking around here somewhere. Um, I, I mostly remember the two of them just kind of being just pals. Like they weren't best friends or anything. Cause obviously like the flash had Hal Jordan and, uh, elongated man was a character who had been invented fairly recently. And so mostly they were concerned with setting up his own personal dynamic and his relationship with his soon to be wife and all that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, they had a like a good, solid working relationship. I, I would say one of the things that could be really productive if they adapt it relatively faithfully is the fact that on the Flash, really, it's it's the Flash's show, and everybody else exists to serve his needs. And so, because of that, a lot of the book, a lot of the move, the show goes through the filter of how do we create conflict between Barry and the supporting cast. And so, you get a lot of these things where it's like Vibe hiding his powers, Killer Frost maybe being evil, Wells not telling Barry what he needs to know, Wally going off and being a hothead. And these are all totally legitimate takes on the characters, and I'm not saying that like everybody should just like fall into line and be Barry's, you know, soldiers. But I will say, if you bring in a character like Ralph and you keep him as being like fairly straight laced and fairly whatever, I could totally see a version of this dynamic where it's like, holy crap, I have you know a firestorm slash the atom again, 
like just a dude who's good at being a superhero, who's not part of Team Flash, so there's no drama, and like I can turn to him when I need him. Uh, probably, if I had to guess, though, and, and of course they played with this a couple times because it was the Silver Age and everybody was like weirdly insecure and childish sometimes. Uh, probably, if I had to guess, one of the things that they'll deal with is the idea of Okay, so Ralph was a superhero while Barry was gone, and now Barry's back, and there's the struggle of Barry's not the only guy in town, slash the favorite, slash whatever anymore. Maybe even Iris's paper has decided they like Elongated Man better, uh, and so then Barry has to overcome his personal insecurities and resentment and whatever else, because like you're going to have another superhero on the block who, you know presumably has been doing this stuff while the flash has been gone for six months. Um, so to me, like I, I can't tell you much about the relationship between elongated man and the flash because the, the stories I remember are basically just like good job chum kind of stories, uh, which was super common back then. I mean, really the idea of superheroes feeling the constant need to measure dicks didn't come up in a big way until the eighties. Um, <laughs> and and so uh, to me, it's kind of like uh, I, I kind of hope that we get just a good working relationship, and you have kind of a, a, a character who's not part of Team Flash who can offer a fresh perspective, but isn't like an antagonist. Um, but I kind of half expect them to take it in the other direction of Ralph, you know, play up the sense of humor, play up the. Uh, the fact that for a while, like during the Starman time, he used his superhero dumb as a way to promote his detective agency. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see them kind of go the Booster Gold on Smallville route, where they're just like, everybody loves him. He's using it to make money. Flash has to get used to the fact that somebody's doing it differently than he would. You know what I mean? Yeah, almost like friendly comp competition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I kind of hope that they don't go that way because it feels kind of predictable. But uh, I, I could totally understand if they opted to go that way because it would be a, it would introduce him in a way that even if it was like, okay, I've seen this before, at least we haven't seen it before on the Flash. Exactly. Uh, well, that's because we haven't had a federal super. I mean, I mean, not to say that Cisco and Wally aren't super, but like we haven't had someone that is like you said outside Team Flash that would that you know that the last time we had that was Firestorm, and mm -hmm. we only had him for a couple episodes, but now we're getting get you know Ralph in a bigger capacity, and I, I mean that could also be a good transition to talk about. Um, you know, you know, as we discuss about him on the show, I mean, we—he's been in animation before. He's been on Justice League Unlimited, and he's been on Batman and Brain Ball. But this will be his live action debut. So, mm -hmm. um, and the way the CW describes his character, uh, for listeners who may may not have heard the description, is, and I quote, "One of the, one of the Flash's most iconic allies." Although after what Russ had just told me, I'm almost wondering, most iconic question mark? Uh, one of the most Flash's most iconic allies, Ralph Dibney, aka the elongated man, is a fast-talking private investigator with investigative skills that skill that, that's, that, that rival those of Batman. Upon discovering he has the power to stretch his body to any shape or form, then he use, uses his abilities to help Team Flash solve one of Central City's greatest mysteries. So will this finally be the season when he figures out why no one goes to work? That is like the, you know. I'm sorry. What other, what great mystery? Uh, and uh, the, the also the interesting thing is that when 
the the hashtag show broke the casting breakdown for this mm-hmm. role. They mentioned that whoever ends up getting this this role would have the option to come back in season five. Now, is this a series regular or is it just like a, continuing to be a major recurring guest star? Remains to be seen. But either way, it seems like they're that this could be the beginning of something large for this character. So let's just, let's just discuss this. Like, uh, you were talking if, about that. Oh, no, sorry, go on. If I had to guess. Um, Next spinoff? <laughs> it, well, no, I think if I had to guess that they're probably setting him up to be potentially a either a member of Team Flash or at least like one of their most important, uh, you know, re- supporting characters. Uh, because I, I don't imagine that Andu Deck is going to stay on as Tracy for the indefinite future. Is she even coming back? And, like, I, have we even heard anything about that? Uh, I believe she's coming back because I thought that I had heard that she was going to be, uh, that, that she and, uh, and Tom Cavanaugh still had s- some unresolved stuff to deal with. But uh, it's distinctly possible that she won't. Cause I, I don't, I don't specifically know. I haven't heard anything about her being on set. But, I, you know, it, it's a weird situation because the show is getting kind of quasi-rebooted right now with, like, okay, so Tom Felton's out, and they never really made the announcement that he was out. He just kind of isn't back. And then finally, when people ask the question enough, they acknowledge that, like, oh, yeah, like, he's not back, and here's why, and we're going to do this with the characters and blah, blah, blah. So it's entirely possible that Tracy Brand won't be a character in this season. Even though she all. was kind of fun, even though she was fun, like I mean, I, she will be missed. I mean, at least for me. I mean, I don't know. Did did you like her when she was on the show? I did. Um, I mean, I'm biased anyway because she was a uh, she's a psych veteran. Ah, but, uh, of course. Uh, she was Lassiter's original partner in the psych pilot, which uh, means that she was only in the psych pilot and never came back. Oh, but. but uh, <laughs> Wait, is that? I thought it was like, oh, she was like some big character on side, but you were like, no, she had a, a role in in the pilot, and then she was gone. No, no, she she was in the pilot, and then she left because she had to go do house. Um, because she went to she was like a recurring for a while, and then I think she was a regular on house, and then I think that they finally just wrote her out because they ran out of ideas for the character. But, uh, but yeah, I like the actress a lot. Uh, the character herself was fine. Like, I really, I was entertained by the humor in her character. I liked kind of throwing the curveball of what her role was with regards to the whole Savitar thing. Um, I think they introduced her too late because I feel like they had to accelerate through the whole her falling in love with uh, HR story way too fast. Agreed. But uh, so you think he's? Do you think Ralph is essentially replacing her? It, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, the other thing was, uh, I, th- I think that I think that I'm wrong on this because I think that they have finally. I think they've already cast the mechanic, right? Did they cast the mechanic? Yeah, uh, Kim Engelbrecht will be playing the mechanic. Okay. But we, I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you know, we know as well as anyone. This that could could be a. Oh wait. What if she sue? Oh, that 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 could be an interesting. Uh, see, my my thing was that I my first thought because they have to have the 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 team flash betrayal every year, and in the comics 
uh, nobody knows the mechanic's real name, and nobody has ever seen the mechanic's face. Oh, so she is a DC character, because, okay, so I was confused about that the whole time, because I'm like, okay, there's a picture of someone wearing a weird mask, but, like, I mean... Well, it's a he in the comic, I- I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, oh, yeah. oh, no, you're right, you're right, it's a he. But, uh, but yeah, the the in the comic and and the mechanic has made like i think three appearances ever it's like it's a very very minor character but um he he is a total mystery you don't know who he is you've never seen his face never heard his real name he's just the mechanic and so my thought was initially that the mechanic would be like uh, uh alchemy was last year that you would have this person in a mask who eventually gets unmasked. And my thought was that Ralph would have to be basically figuring out whether or not it was Tracy Brand. Um, but uh, once they actually cast somebody and like came out and said that they had cast somebody as the mechanic, I'm kind of like, eh, probably not then. But yeah, Sue Dibney is a, is a solid, like, you know, having it be Sue, Sue Dearborn. Uh, would be a solid, solid guess. Uh, I mean, it could. I mean, it would be funny if it, it kind of. That's how. Maybe he. Maybe you know the way that the way that the mechanics. You know, like, like unlike how they did that whole alchemy thing, is that the mechanic, like you know, she plays this big role on the show, but then eventually she, like she had, like rather than you know just seeing her going to jail, having to lose, or having to get killed off, like maybe she becomes redeemed she gets saved maybe you know i mean again i mean i, I do think it's interesting that you know her name that they just call her the mechanic and i'm like well they can do anything they want with that code name i guess because we never learned who the mechanic is in the comics as you said so and i think that would be a good way because that way we can get the mechanic but also she can't we, we will find her at a very empowering stage she is mm-hmm. like you know because that way like because the, like you said if this is the only thing Ralph is known for in the comics, then how about we, you know, let's make him iconic for something else. Maybe he becomes iconic for saving, you know, this this complex woman who is, you know, she's an engineer, she's she's gifted, she's talented, and she doesn't have this past that she had. She didn't get raped. And, and, I mean, mm. good lord, I mean... <laughs> Russ, I'm not gonna be able to go to bed because of this because I thought like <laughs> I thought like you know oh like I, I've heard Sue Dibney she was like you know this cute girlfriend or something and then you're like and she got raped and she got killed and then she was actually pregnant I'm like holy like <laughs> that was dark but I don't know, I mean I mean I'm sure I'm not, I mean I'm usually never right about these things but it would be interesting if Sue is actually the mechanic I that certainly uh, that certainly would be or or at a bare minimum if the mechanic were to be really, like, to actually be mysterious, and the woman who has been cast as the mechanic turned out to be Sue, uh, and they don't want to say that out loud because spoilers. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing how this goes. I think that this season is a really good fit for Ralph and Sue, or at least Ralph, because... That was my next question, like, that's what, what is this the right time to bring in Ralph into the Flash mythology? I think so. I mean, first of all, I don't think there's really a wrong time to bring in a character like like Ralph because he doesn't have like that big story where he shaped the Flash's worldview or anything. So it's not like we could say like, oh, well, we really needed a Ralph Dibney, you know, in season two, and now we had to replace him with HR, and that screws everything up, and blah blah blah. Like, no, he's he's a character who has a good working relationship with the flash. They like each other. They respect each other, but like 
there's no like big like story where you're just like oh well they have to do this one as soon as ralph shows up like as soon as ralph shows up the first thing you think is like well justice league (laughs) um because he's the like he and sue were essentially the business managers of league for so long that it's almost kind of like you feel like they're going to try to organize the superheroes but uh i kind of on a more like less prediction heavy note and more of just a general kind of character note i think that this season is a great time to bring ralph in because they've already said that we're going to try to claw out of kind of the deep dark hole that we've built over the first three seasons of Barry getting increasingly miserable and everything getting increasingly bleak and if you're going to do the brighter happy kind of return to form for the flash then bringing in characters from the giffen to mattis era uh, is a solid way to do it. You know, oh, yeah. if you're gonna, if you're gonna say like, okay, it's time for us to have some fun again, uh, I, I would say you could do a lot worse than introducing a character like Ralph, who basically, uh, in the minds of a lot of people, uh, because he's changed so much over the years, I think there's there's like, depending on your age, he'll be defined by different things. I think that people who were old enough to remember his first appearances in the 60s might remember him primarily as a supporting character in The Flash. But I think that there's relatively few people who are still super engaged who are that old. Um, I think that there's going to be a fair number of people who know him primarily as a member of the Justice League, either from the Given to Mattis Bwahaha era or from the Satellite era. And in any event that's going to really shape their expectations for like who he is and what he brings to the table and, and the extent to which his personality is going to clash with Barry's or, or whatever. Um, and then I think there, there are going to be a certain number of people who, as soon as he shows up, they're just like waiting for the other shoe to drop and they're waiting for identity crisis. Which, I really, which won't happen. I, I don't, these no, writers, I, I don't, they won't. I don't think so. And especially like, it, it it won't happen this season particularly because that that's not what they're going for this year. But also, I, I kind of think in general, it just doesn't make sense to bring to the Flash. Yeah. Uh, but but it's it's very much like uh, I don't know if you're super aware of this. I was because it's the era of Superman that I loved um, when Adam Grant first came to Supergirl. It was like, uh, but every time Adam was on camera, there was always a certain segment of the audience that was like, okay, so Toy Man's going to kill him this week, right? <laughs> oh my god, it's like, I mean, I mean, I noticed there's a thing called, like, adapting comics, but there's also no thing called, there's, there's no such thing called as following the comics straight from page to page, it's just, like... <laughs> Why would be like people assuming that like oh but of, of course it has to happen? It's like well I mean no it really doesn't. And plus these are shows that are at eight p.m. Like you can't I mean you, you can't, I mean you can go only so dark, but not that dark. Yeah, I mean again, like I said, I, I think that, that that's part of why this is such a solid fit for what they want to do this season is because you can kind of bring in. Ralph, and when you're bringing him in in a season where the mission statement is be more positive, 
it'll minimize or mitigate the people who expect identity crisis as soon as Ralph and Sue step onto the screen. Now, I, what I was going to ask before, and so I was joking kind of like, you know, well, could this be the next spinoff? But, like, pro- I mean, I don't know if they could do a, a show like, like, I mean, a longer spinoff show. I mean, I don't know if there's enough story for that. But, like, do you think he could become a staple within the Flash television show, like, you know, moving forward? Like, you know I mean, because there was some people speculating at Comic-Con, like, you know, well, what if he's, like, meant to replace... Tom Cavanaugh next season or something like that. I'm like, I mean, first of all, I don't think Tom Cavanaugh is leaving anytime soon. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, like what could, what could Ralph's larger role in the Flash or the Arrowverse, to be honest, be move? You know, based on how this season goes. Well, I mean, one of the things that we always used to say is that the Flash, you know, 10 years ago when CSI was a thing, everybody was always like, oh man, the Flash would be great because, like, you could have CSI with superheroes. And then the Flash actually came along, and the Flash is great, but it basically has absolutely none of Barry's day job in it. Um, so if if they were to reduce the amount of time they spent at Star Labs and start trying to focus on other elements of Central City and other aspects of what Team Flash does, then the obvious thing of having an incredibly gifted private investigator operating in the same city where your main character is a, is a cop um, kind of it, it, it writes itself in terms of how he could play a, a kind of a major role in the series going forward. Uh, I don't know that that's what they would want to do, but I do think that either way, like whatever they do with him, it's going to be easy to find a, a niche for a character like Ralph in a show like The Flash because Barry basically surrounds himself with super geniuses all the time. And so having a like an incredibly brilliant detective who can like who also you know has a secret identity and so it's like you can deal with the superhero side of Ralph you can deal with the like detective side of Ralph and whatever you do it's like both of those things can play into different facets of Barry's personality and so i kind of feel like it's easy to take a character like Ralph and as long as you do him reasonably well, make him a big part of the flash because it's, it's, it's almost like he's designed to kind of perfectly suit, um, Barry's character and to be kind of a, a foil for Barry's character in some ways. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, in a way, like, I mean, like I know me, me including, I mean, I love the bear and all relationship, but you know, because, those two actors and those two kids are on their they're the lead of two separate shows. We can't see them all together all the time. So I almost wonder if this is the show's way of if if, if this is uh, if this is the um, producer and writers' way of kind of like giving us that frequent all repair relationship, but with someone else. Kind of like you know, like and you know, like how in the comics now, you know, Hal and Ollie are kind of pretty close, and maybe yeah. like maybe th- maybe this is this is this is Barry's Hal, um. Because, you know, to just to kind of have, you know, and again, it's not to, because I know I, there was a, a person that g- gave me some flack for being, you know, thinking that 
I'm pretty much thinking that Cisco's getting replaced by Ralph, you know, in terms of their friendship. But I'm like, no, I never look at that way. But for me, like, someone, I mean, I don't hate Team Starlad. I hate, I love Team Flash. But at the same time, it will be refreshing to see a superhero outside all of this. Like you said, you know, outside the system, outside of all of this baggage, you know, for mm-hmm. good, for good and bad, you know. So that's, you know, I. I mean, I think someone like a longer man can just be a fun addition. I'm just excited to see how the effects are going to look like because Armin is so gifted and what he, and what he his t- team does. Uh, so hopefully the budget allows it and that we do like actually see it often. Yeah, it'll be super interesting to see how they do that because obviously nobody, like when you look at the three Fantastic Four movies that they've made, Mr. Fantastic has never really looked that great. Uh, even in like the 2015 movie, and so you're sitting here going, "These are 150 million dollar movies, where his like the ability to make Reed work was kind of a big thing that needed to happen in order for the movie to work." And the fact that it was always kind of passable but not great makes it really interesting to see. I, I don't think that they would bring him on if Armin wasn't. 100% solid that he knew how to make it work. But it does, like, the fact that every time they've tried something similar to this in the past, people have failed, makes me really wonder how they're going to play that and how it's going to look. Well, I mean, the good, I mean, also, I mean, maybe, maybe my conspiracy theory is that maybe the effects did look great on those Fantastic Four movies, but because they were so horribly written, and with one of them being so horribly directed, maybe the horribleness from those aspects sh- overshadowed all those great <laughs> effects. I'm sorry, I hate the 2015 fa- quote-unquote fantastic for a movie with a passion, but I you know, I was forced to watch it because I lost a bet. Uh, two hours of my life I will never get back. Uh, so kids, stay in school and don't, ma- and don't, don't bet. Like, gambling mm-hmm. is not good. <laughs> Learn it from this crazy old man. Uh, but, no, but to kind of conclude this um any closing thoughts on elongating man coming to the show uh do you have any fears on how the hex is going to come up with this name like will this dude even wear a costume like what do you like what like what what, what are your thoughts on the closing out on uh on uh, elongated man i mean certainly it'll be interesting to see what his personality is like because if they're going with like hard-boiled detective who happens to have superpowers then the approach to that is totally different than uh the the approach to that is totally different than if you're going with like zany guy who appeared in justice league international and so to me you get that thing of depending on how they set up ralph as a character the things like, oh, how his identity is going to work, whether he's going to have a costume and all that kind of stuff could be totally, totally different approaches. Because if they're going to make him like zany and self-promoting and kind of booster goldy, then you could easily just give him a costume. And no matter how ridiculous it looks, that could just be part of his shtick. Um, and, you know, he could, at that point probably will have already named himself because why not? Um, but if they're going to go with something a little bit more subtle then I could see like him not having a costume at first, not having a name at first, and then Cisco kind of provides those things, 
because I do think that like the nature of his powers is such that you, you ultimately end up needing a costume because like wearing your regular clothes, the stretching thing just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, You'd will, be naked. It will, yeah. It will be just, it will just break. It will just stretch and mm-hmm. get ripped. Um, it would be funny if it's his go at first, like try to be like, well, what if you just call yourself plastic man? He's like, no, I don't, it doesn't have a good bell. It doesn't ring a bell. It doesn't sound good to me in my ears. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that's like, because obviously you got Plastic Man and Mister Fantastic draw from for that joke, but I imagine they'll they'll go with Plastic Man because DC owns him. Yeah, exactly. And also, he's going to be uh, right around, I think October November. Plastic Man is going to be part of a new team that's basically DC doing the Fantastic Four. Uh, and it's called the Terrifics. It's led by by Michael Holt, which is the comic book equivalent of Curtis. Um, the t- really, the the ter- wait, DC really, really, the Terrifics? Uh, you couldn't like? I mean, I'm sorry. It's just like a different word for fantastic. <laughs> well, that's the point. Yeah, I know, but it's just like it's not even remotely subtle, Russ. <laughs> Well, when they announced it at Comic-Con, they literally said that this was what they were doing, that they were doing DC's version of the Fantastic Four. Oh, so they, okay, <laughs> they, they, they were aware of it. Okay, you know what? I take it back. If they were aware of it and that they were proud of it, then I'm all good with it. If they were like, oh, we're being so clever, I'm like, no, DC, no. let's take a step back and be like, no, you're not. No, they, they literally said we're doing the Fantastic Four. Basically, because Marvel hasn't had a Fantastic Four book in like three years. Hmm, um, I wonder. I wonder why. Uh, God, don't get me started on that. <laughs> but yeah, basically, the, the conceit <laughs> seems to be that if Marvel's not going to use the Fantastic Four, then why shouldn't we? Um, and so it's you have the stretchy guy, which is Plastic Man. You have the tortured genius, which is Mister Terrific. You have uh, the woman who turns invisible, which is Phantom Phantom Girl. I think she's called. She's from the Legion of Superheroes, anyway. And then you have. Uh, metamorpho who is basically the analog for the thing because he's like he was a an actor before he got disfigured in the accident that gave him his powers and wouldn't clayface be a better fit pardon me wouldn't clayface be a better fit it would be more physically like uh the thing maybe but He's a he's not he's not on the table right now because they're using him in detective comics. He's part of Batman's like strike force thing. But secondly, like characterization wise, uh, Metamorpho is basically a knockoff of the thing. Uh, Like his powers are totally different, but his personality is remarkably similar. And so if you're going for an archetype that kind of bounces off of the other characters in the way that you wanted it to, if you're doing a thing story, Metamorpho is probably your best pick. Yeah, no, I, for me, I uh, in terms of um, elongated man, yeah, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. I hope he's actually part of the crossover, uh, but I almost fear he won't because, like, I mean... I mean, Arrow and Legends, they did bring in all their new characters for last season, from last season into the crossover, so who is to say that he couldn't be part of it? So, um, but it would just be fun to see how Dago would react to Elongated Man, because... Yeah, it it's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I've heard, you know, variousness about the crossover. 
And uh, it's one of those, like, if, if the story that I'm hearing is correct, then I think there's a very good chance you see f- fewer of the regular uh, supporting characters showing up. Um, uh, like, that, that the idea of the, of the crossover might be a little bit more small scale for, like, the strike force, so to speak. And a little bit more large scale in terms of its high concept and the, the effects and the blah blah blah. Um, and again, like that's all very rumory, and I don't I don't want to repeat it because it's it's super early days. But um, but I'm the, sure people are gonna tweet you though, Russ, because you said it on there. <laughs> I can't protect you from here and all. Now people will tweet you and ask you. Yeah, well, and again, like I, I this is not like something that I heard from anybody involved with. Uh, the the upper echelons of anything it's like a Echel- guy who echelon. knows a guy that's a good that's a good five dollar so, word yeah thanks yeah but um but anyway so uh my my general my my guess is that we might see fewer of the main kind of superheroes taking part in the crossover and that way the main heroes can have a little bit more time to shine and a little bit less real estate spent on uh building everybody else up and probably if that is true which again i have no real idea other than the fact that it's the impression i get but um if that is true then probably it would be inspired by the success they had with supergirl last year where you had that one episode where Kara was basically barely in it and it was an opportunity for the supporting cast to shine and to give melissa a chance to kind of get her bearings back well the finale of her show well, it was the it was the the finale. It was the mid season finale. Was the crossover thing, but uh, it was either the one before that or the one after that was where she got captured by Cadmus, and she spent most of the episode in in like a jail cell. Oh and yeah, 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 by Lillian. Time and like most of the rest of the episode was people trying to find her, and uh, that episode was like a thing where they. They gave Melissa less screen time to make up for the fact that she was running herself ragged getting to the other shows for the crossover. And it worked out well for them because they managed to write an episode that allowed for Melissa to have less screen time. So it didn't really seem like they were shoehorning that in. But also, like, it gave them a chance to really play with the supporting characters and give them something cool to do and, and you know... The Guardian story probably played more of a legitimate role in that episode than it had played in, in three weeks leading up to it and blah, 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 blah. And so it wouldn't surprise me if it does turn out to be true that like the it's going to focus more on like a, a handful of core relationships rather than bringing in every single character. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if the inspiration for that is the fact that like Supergirl had such an easier time bouncing back after the craziness of the crossover because of the way they'd done that. Well, well said. Well, I, um, I think it will be, is a good place to, to wrap up, but, um, but I know you, you will be, uh, as of right now, uh, back with us next week for another spotlight. So, uh, so, uh, but first of all, Russ, thank you so much for coming on. We'll always have a, I always have a blast when you were on and we can just talk about 
like I mean legit anything. Uh, but also also besides like the the main points that we were to talk about. But uh, but please tell people where you can where they can find you on social media and your other your other work and your podcast and so on, so people can go and subscribe and whatnot. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Russ Burlingame, R-U-S-S-B-U-R-L-I-N-G-A-M-E. That's really long, and I'm not going to repeat it. So uh, ECV underscore podcast for the Emerald City Video Podcast, which uh, I co-host with a bunch of people who used to work with a, work with me at a video store. Uh, and uh, other than that, you know, if you go follow me on Twitter, you'll see my... Uh, You'll see my uh, my comicbook.com kind of author link, so you can click on a link right in my Twitter bio and find everything I write for my day job where I'm the senior staff writer of comicbook.com. Basically, my whole job is to write about comics and DC TV, and so and uh, and Riverdale like this stuff. You'll, yeah, and tons of Riverdale because Riverdale is is one of the best comic book adaptations ever made. Right, but. Uh, but yeah, so basically my job is is to be the comics guy and the DC slash CW TV guy. Uh, and so that way uh, you can, like I said, all one place, just go to my Twitter account, click on that link, and you'll see anything that I've written lately. Um, this week, there's, you know, we're just starting to get all of that beginning of the season stuff starting to slowly roll out. So by the time these episodes run... Uh, probably you'll start seeing like trailers and interviews and all that good stuff. And oh, the not not this isn't directly Flash, but obviously it's it's tangential. Um, September nineteenth, I believe it is. Is that the day that Arrow comes out on Blu-ray or twenty-second? Um, anyway, the day Arrow comes out on Blu-ray, go to comicbook.com. Uh, there will be an audio commentary track. Uh, that's a feature length track. You just play the audio over the entire episode of this Arrow season five finale. And it's uh, myself talking with Mark Guggenheim and Wendy Miracle. And so if you're listening to the Flash podcast, it means you like both listening to things and also the CW shows. So probably that's a good thing for me to tell you you should check out. Oh, I know I'll be watching it for sure. And so when we will make sure we will share a link for that uh, when it comes out. Uh, so it should be, I mean, it should be next week then if uh, the Arrow Blue Day Brewery comes out next week. Yeah, it's going to drop the, I think it's next Tuesday. It's going to drop the day that Arrow comes out on Blu-ray, whatever that day is. Um, I've already finished all the editing. I've already sent a copy to Mark so that he can share it with everybody and make sure that they don't want to change anything. Um but uh, so uh, right now I'm ready to like hit publish, except for the fact that I told Warner Brothers I would wait and do it on the day the DVD comes out. So yeah, no, but it's, it's a good, that's a good tie-in. Uh, plus, you know, and if, yeah, and plus, you know, it's always good to like not get on the wrong side of Warner Brothers. So uh, for any listeners wondering, so yeah, so yeah. next next Tuesday um, when um, when the DVD and Blu-ray hits, uh, you should make sure you. Visit combo.com. Uh, we will again. We, I will share a link on uh, the Flash Pocket Twitter so people can check it out. I mean, uh, I will because I will be checking it out. Uh, so, uh, very cool stuff. And uh, yeah, listeners can find me on um, social media uh, on all the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, p- public pages at Andrew Backed. Uh, I might have some cool stuff coming. I mean, I'm n- nowhere nothing as cool as what Russ has coming up. Uh, but I might have some fun stuff coming up that people may want to check out. So. Um, 
So yeah, just follow me at AnimeBact. And um, what else am I doing these days? Oh yeah, I'm co-hosting the, the Titans podcast on the DC Podcast Network with uh, Kat, uh, Amy G, and uh, oh, AK Amy Awesome. Uh, and also with Corey McCreary. So uh, we just released our... Well, technically, it, that's... Yeah, we did an episode zero, and then last week we did episode one to discuss all the Titans casting news for the new T-Titans show on the yet-to-be-titled DC-branded service, uh, which I I just want a name. Like, it's it's weird that we know more about the show but than the, their actual network or channel they're going to be airing on, but, you know. If I had to, if I had to guess, I'm going to guess they're going to call it DC All Access because that's already the name of their existing web show, and... It's a title that makes perfect sense for the app. But why do you have to bring logic to the show, Russ? Like this, not, this, <laughs> this is not how we run things. Um, yeah, I, I mean, who knows? Maybe they will do that. I mean, I just feel th- there must be a better name. I mean, not to say that these are isn't a good name because you know our, our mutual friend Jason Inman, he worked on that show and he's like it's a good product and he's a good guy. But like, I just feel like there must be like a better name out there because. Uh, but you know, we will. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Maybe maybe October will be when we actually get some news because that's usually when one of us do their big investors meeting. Like when they, re- for some reason, just reveal a big slate of DC films for no reason at an advertising meeting. But, you know, hashtag corporation is going to corporate. Um, listen, you can also, you know. Well, you know, you got New York Comic Con coming up in October too. So there's always the outside chance that you learn some stuff there. Right, I just don't know, like, where in New York Comic Con would you have, like, a panel about a streaming service that, when you when you know, because, although, you know what, never mind, because Comic Cons are never about comic books anymore, like, it, this, this well, it's basically... Fact, the, the thing about New York Comic Con is that they, the DC animated features, like the DC Universe animated movies, always have a strong uh, presence there. Uh, like, they always screen whatever the next one is, and there's always a great panel for, and they make, like, two or three announcements... So it, I, I don't know that it makes great sense, but the, the Warner Brothers Home Entertainment panel where you announce all that Warner Brothers stuff, like all the animated stuff, could be a totally, totally legit place to like drop the, uh, to drop the uh, uh, you know, streaming service announcements. Well, fingers crossed that something comes out. Um, and, and listeners, you know where you can find all the podcasts, uh, you all, all the social media links and website links in the in the show notes so uh also just because it's late where we are and i plugs for me takes like 10 minutes so like i'm sparing you <laughs> all the time i mean i mean it's not it's like it's that sad this point like, because i i talk slow sometimes it plugs and it's ironic because usually i talk really really fast so um but uh, no but this was a lot of fun hopefully you guys have learned a lot about ralph they, they hopefully no one has been too wet too horrified but by all <laughs> that because i don't know if i'm gonna like I'm now probably not gonna pick up Identity Crisis ever, because or maybe I would just read that one issue and then just like skip the page where she, you know, I mean, you know, dies. Um, man, Rose, I did not know you were gonna go so dark. I mean, uh-huh. it, it's not your fault. I mean, it's I mean, this is I mean, this is cat. This is comic cat. It's just, you're just saying what what you you learn. But like, I feel like you know, oh, Russ is gonna tell all these like wacky stories about Ralph that he did some weird stuff with Barry. But no, his wife died while being pregnant, and she was raped by a supervillain who was lobotomized. I mean, <laughs> and the the funny thing is that supervillain. Uh, I I can promise you, it probably will not exist in the in the Arrowverse because. Uh, his identity in the comics 
uh, in the 80s, uh, the supervillain version kind of took a backseat and they gave basically a new person his costume and powers, but she was a girl and she was a good guy. And uh, that character, uh, whose name was Kimio Hoshi, has been translated for the purposes of the CW to Linda Park, Dr. Light. So there we go. Uh, when Sue comes in, I'm sure she'll be safe. Uh, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. October 10th, Tuesday at 8 Central on the CW. We'll have to find out and see how Ralph Debney and his uh, his lady does. If she even comes to the show. But that, guys, that's going to be it for this week's episode of the Flash Podcast. We'll be back next week uh, with Russ uh, and to talk about another character. If I mean, if you guys do the math, you it's it's very it's a very it's very easy to find out who it's going to be. So, but you know what? Because I'm a dick, I'm just not going to say who it is. So, <laughs> Russ, thank you so much for coming on, and look forward to talking oh, to you next week. And listeners, for almost from all of us here on the Flash Podcast, I'm Andy B, and we'll see you next time on the Flash Podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you.